Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. Really excited about uh, our next guest here, someone I've I've known since uh, before I could write in cursive, I think. I don't know if the kid. Dude, it's been a long, long time. A yeah. long, long time. I still remember, and I met in fifth grade, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Zachary Burr Abel, he's come a long way since those days in, in, in fifth grade. We've both come a long way. Experienced a lot of a lot of interesting things in life in that journey. So it's kind of a full circle moment. Really excited to dig in um, to your story, man, and everything that you've done since we've kind of separated paths our senior yeah, yeah. year of high school. I still remember going to prom together, and now you're you're six. You got six hundred thousand followers on TikTok, and I'm able to tell <laughs> people, "Hey, I knew that guy." <laughs> <laughs> So, so let's get into this, man. Um, as, as I was saying be offline, I think the thing that stands out about you is your story. Um, and let, let's get into that. From your childhood um, at an early age, I think knowing you how I knew you, you were kind of, you were book smart, obviously. You knew how to get, get it done in the books and you're, you cared about academics. But also from a young age, I think you were pursuing some of these things like modeling and and things that a lot of kids at that age aren't doing right like their parents aren't necessarily facilitating that for them or they don't know how but you got exposure to and it was something you were always interested in from a young age so it wasn't like you were just the book smart kid that suddenly decided hey i want i want a career in entertainment take us into that like your your development initially and what fostered that interest and that care into both spaces? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I credit my parents with a lot of it. I was, I'm an only child. And so uh, my mom was uh, always trying to curate activities that I think um, that, that would just develop me, I think, as a person. And so I was, and a lot of the stuff that I ended up, I think, flourishing in were kind of like individual sports. Like I had a black belt in Taekwondo and I was competing in all of that stuff and golf and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then it was sometime in high school, um, I had gotten like scouted, I guess, for modeling um, by this lady named Deb Peltier, who uh, lived in, I think it was Findlay, Ohio at the time. And, uh, I was having like senior pictures taken Yeah, and, uh, she's like, you know, I think that you can do some stuff and we know someone out of Detroit and that like, I ended up signing with that person, uh, Lynn Clark, uh, who set up like some meet and greets for me out in New York city, my senior year of high school. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. But at the same time, I had gotten an early decision to uh, Washington University in St. Louis, uh, which I uh, thought that I was going to go. Like I, I, I think somehow in my head, I had decided that I was going to be a doctor, even though I was like wildly obsessed with entertainment. But it's just so, I mean, no one, like I didn't know a single person that was in like in yeah. entertainment, like where yeah. we're from. And like all of like, as I look back at it, I almost feel like it was inevitable because it's like all of our reports that we would do for like 
Mr. Cambysius or different things. It's like, we're just making these like idiotic videos and like radio shows and like all this stuff and just having like a a really fun time doing it. Um, But I went on these like meet and greets around New York and like agencies were interested, but my parents were like, you know, you're going to go to to college. And I wasn't, I don't think at that point I was even flirting with not going to school. It was like, yeah, that's kind of, that's cool. But you know, I'm going to become an eye surgeon and I'm going to go to school. And like, that's what I'm going to do. Like that's, I think I had attached myself to that reality when I don't think that's exactly where my heart was. Um, and then I went to Wash U and I studied biomedical engineering. And then I ultimately got a degree in finance and international business. And in my senior year, um, when all my friends were kind of going off to investment banks I was like, I'm going to go to New York City and study acting. Like I did a couple plays in uh, in college and reached out to the uh, the lady that I had met senior year of high school and said, "Is would you still be like, uh, it's called like a mother agent. And would you set up meetings for me in New York? Like got myself in shape and like headed to New York City to basically like work at Bloomingdale's, wait tables, cater waiter, and like take acting classes. And just like just right there, Zach, you're talking about getting in shape. This is something I think about a lot for models. I mean, was that a pain in the ass to get so fit? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like what? How did you decide? Like, was that how did you decide that was something you wanted to, like, do as a lifestyle? Was that something that was kind of naturally? I looked at it as like I I, I looked at it that if I could model to pay the bills, it would be like a means to an end to get me closer to like the goal that I really wanted. And that's how I viewed New York city as well was Mm. I need to go there because at the time, um, in retrospect, I think I would have just gone straight to Los Angeles, but the girl I was dating was going to New York as well. And like, I knew people there and plus it was New York city and I loved it. Um, so I was very drawn to that anyways. And I just knew if, if I was going to be serious about it, I had to be the best version of whatever I was going to basically sell, which was at that time, it's like, I, I realized that I'm a product. So I have to be the best possible version of that going into any room. Um, and so it, it took me, I don't know, I think I lost 30 pounds in three months to like wow. just get shredded down, like just to look lean, you know? Um, and that's, I don't think that that really ever changes. I think it's uh, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's like a lot about the entertainment business is like you're put into kind of a pigeonhole. And like that, once you are identified as that, it's hard to break that mold down the road. Um, but I just knew if I knew if I wanted to be serious about it and I, if I was going to book as a model, which would hopefully set me up as an actor that, I needed to look a certain way and that was going to take a certain level of sacrifice. And I just sort of committed to it. When did you realize that you wanted to be an actor then? Like how did that kind of find its way? I did a couple of plays in, in college, but like I was, as I was saying to V it's like, I just, I, I look back. It's like, I've always been kind of performing. Yeah. And you've, always, you've always been that way. 
I've always tried to like, you know, I was obsessed with Jim Carrey, like, I, like all that stuff. Like I look kind of like not to like jump way forward, but it's like how, why TikTok has worked for me versus other social media platforms, I think is because of like that old root of just wanting to like entertain people. And yeah. in a big way, I think I probably, it's taken me a long time. Like, I think I just want to be an entertainer more than I necessarily want to be an actor. It's just like the manifestation yeah. of my head with like, that means you should be an actor. Mm, and in yeah. reality, it's like even the formation of like my travel blog and like all this, it's like, I just want to entertain people. Like I want to, I want to like make people laugh or smile and inspire them to be the best version of themselves. Um, and so I think that that's at the time I thought, well, the way that you do that and you make an impact and you have an audience is, is acting um, and playing a character and like all that fun stuff. Um, yeah. But I think that's kind of how it, it, it happened in college. And then I sort of said, I don't want to go work at an investment bank. I don't yeah. want to go to med school. Like I don't want to do these things. I don't know what that's going to end up turning into. So I gave myself two years. I was like, well, two, in two years, if I'm paying my bills, other than like, you know, uh, cater waitering or waiting tables or, or whatever, then, you know, or selling outerwear as I did at Bloomingdale, uh, then like, that's a good sign that I should keep going. So it yeah. sounds like, oh, sorry, oh, B. yeah, it's not, intellectually, Zach, it sounds like you kind of had it going on getting into Wash U, you know, graduating well. Um, I've noticed a lot of people that I know struggle when they're transitioning to a creative field, if they have, you know, strong intellectual background to be able to let go of the part of their identity that associates with that. So for you, it must've been a humbling experience to take these jobs at, you know, really a, a lot more lower paying than, than what you could have gotten. Um, how did you handle the ego side of that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think at the time it's like I was 23 and so even people that went off and like got uh, more career oriented jobs, there wasn't quite the disparity. It's like they were still on like the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and I was lucky enough, I think as well. One, I think that's, that's certainly models. And I would also associate actors into this as well. Like they aren't exactly lumped into like the intelligentsia. Like that's not your first, that's not the stereotype. So right. that's, I'm, I'm always underestimated, which is perfectly fine by me. Um, but I, I think something happened. I, I, I booked Abercrombie and Fitch within like the first year. And so I think a lot of people were like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. um, they were like excited for me. But I think, you know, as much as people are excited, I think there's also a part of like, if you are following a traditional route, um, someone who doesn't, especially if you have ambitions to do it yourself, you're almost looking for someone to fall and fail because then it, it, it almost proves the safer path that you've chosen. Uh, and I time, certainly had right? quite a, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there's been a lot of people that are like that, but like I, I've always just been given signs to like, keep going. Like anytime I've like yeah. questioned, like, is this like, is this the right thing? I just continue. It's, it's like, I feel like there's like this Northern star and I just keep being like navigated and move through it. Um, and for me, it was like, I got to, I got to New York and people had said, Oh, like Abercrombie, this blah, 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 blah. And 
I ended up booking it like eight months, six months or eight months after I was there. And that like changed things. Then suddenly people were like, oh my gosh, like, of course you should have been doing this. And like, this is, this is great and whatever. Cause I, I ended up being selected as like the dude on the back gift cards, like all this oh, stuff. Nice. And it opened up like a lot of doors in Los Angeles to get signed by managers and agents. Um, so that was, to me, I kind of look back. I just like, well, that was a sign that I was supposed to go to New York. Um, and I think I, I think sometimes you just sort of have to eat crow. Like in, in a lot of the ego is how you view yourself. And I think I probably dealt with that as well. It's like going to school with Vietnam at, at mommy Valley and then to wash you. Everyone was smart. Yeah. So it's kind of like, that was always how I've, I've spoken to people. It's like, that was never really something that like, I felt like I had to prove in some way. Cause it's like, that was so prioritized. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to LA or, and even in New York, it's like, that was a different ball game to where I kind of felt like, okay, like this isn't necessarily the focus of everything, but, um, but uh, I don't know. I think you just have to eat your ego sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and speaking about that, like you touched on something, we actually talked about this, uh, this last week in terms of social media and envy and, and, and the variables that that creates. But I still remember, Back in those days, you know, our, our high school is a small community. People stay connected to each other and follow each other for a long time. And it's like suddenly I saw you doing these things. And what I'm hearing, obviously, I never shared any of this stuff for, with you. But it seems like a lot of people do that, right? Because suddenly you're an Abercrombie model. And what is Zach doing? What's he doing? He's wasting his career. It's like, well, he graduated. He's doing what he wants to do with his life you know, what does that matter? And I think I want to circle back to an important variable for you because you know I have a lot of admiration for your parents. Um, the way that they structured their support system around you where they didn't just give you everything, but they helped and assisted you pursue your dreams in structured ways in which it wasn't just like, oh, you want to go acting? We're just going to pay for everything. If you want to do it, these are the things that we're willing to help you do. We're going to support yeah. you emotionally, but if you really want to go on this journey, it's your journey and we're not going to let you take any shortcuts. And I think sometimes specifically parents get lost in understanding that pursuits aren't always just academic, you know, like what mm -hmm. people, what you need to do to find yourself and find your purpose in life may not be in that textbook at WashU, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of parents and a lot of, I guess, authority figures, even when we were going our teachers, they never put those thoughts into our head. I think it happened after we got to college, after we got that independence and we started asking ourselves the question, what is it that we want to do with our lives? And we found out that being a doctor wasn't it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and through that journey, I think for you, like, I'm sure you had many doubts, but I, one of my favorite books is The Alchemist, right? It's like if you're pursuing things and you're putting your energy toward things and you genuinely want those things, the universe will conspire to make those things so. You might, not, yeah. you might not ever be able to answer the question of why did Zach get the Abercrombie thing? You can't answer that. There's, You know that you're not the only good-looking guy that's trying out and casting, but you got that part, right? And yeah, it's not yeah. your job 
to constantly answer that question. Your your job is to take that situation and make the most of it. It's not to ask yourself, why me and not someone else, right? 100%. Yeah. And I, and I think that it is it is amazing. I think it's like the, the Matthew principle or whatever, to where it's like the people that are conti- like constantly producing are the ones that end up controlling the vast majority of the resources. And I think it's like, as long as like, if you just keep doing what you're supposed to be doing, like there's, it's that whole alchemist universe conspiring to it's like, I have no idea what dropped into my like consciousness to say like, I should go to New York versus LA. Like, why did I even make that decision? And I think you could, you know, you could debate it in your head for as long as, you know, until you're blue in the face, but it's like, really, it's like, you just have to sort of trust it. And I also think it's like, you really discover yourself through struggle far more than like success. I mean, you can, I think you find, you find what you're made of in struggle and you find that actually probably the worst possible parts of you in success. You know, it's like, like, it, you, you really figure out like, wow, like this is what I can actually do. I can overcome that. And I think that that's where people find their inspiration. It's like, you know, that you're able to, to pull yourself up or do it. So, yeah. And I sense I that agree. I sense that in our conversations when you were, were in LA, right. You know, we obviously didn't talk as much, but I, I think I came out there one time and we hung out is, is that's that finally you having that sense of this shit is hard. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just if I do all the work, if I go to all the acting classes, if I do all the work, that doesn't mean that I'm going to succeed. And I think up until that point, even with the Abercrombie ad, right, it almost happened way faster and way easier for you than it does for more people, for most people. But you got to L.A. and finally you faced that pushback. Like you became a black belt in Taekwondo. You did well in college. As long as you did the work. You got the results. Suddenly, yeah. the work wasn't enough. Kind of yeah, take us the real like, world. <laughs> <laughs> take us into your mental journey there, because to actually experience it at that level for the first time, I would say I don't know if you agree, but I would say that's probably the first time that you experienced adversity at that. A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I and I would say that even like the, most of my twenties was like I. I was, I was doing well. I, I think like the greatest struggles I've had were probably uh, certainly from an acting perspective. And then also just like physically were in my thirties. Um, Cause I got, I got to LA and then um, I like my look and type worked more as a model there than it did in, in New York. And so I was able to like, I didn't have to do any other side gigs. So that was fantastic. Nice. It gave me a lot of time to be able to go on auditions. And then it took me about two years um, of just going in and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning and auditioning to finally get a role. And then it was about a year after that that I got my first series. And that was called Make It or Break It. Um, and that kind of all, there's this thing that where it's like people with, that are their actors are in it, I guess, specifically actors, like you never really feel like you're auditioning for the role that you go in for. You're kind of auditioning for like the casting director or the producers and like they may have a, a part for you down the road and they're just getting like a vibe and like they're getting like your essence. And so that really is what happened for me. I had gone in and auditioned for this show called Greek over and over and over and gotten down to like, you know, the last couple of people over and over and over again to where the casting director reached out to the head of casting of the network 
and said, I think you should have a general meeting with this guy. We can't find a place for him, but we really like him. And it's one of those times where it's like, it's such a lesson of life to where I never worked on Greek. I never, like that cast director has never booked me on it, on anything, but she was so pivotal, pivotal uh, in my success, like to really taking my career to another level. So then I went in and had this general meeting um, at ABC Family, which is now called Freeform. And uh, within a week, like they just put me on the show called Secret Life of the American Teenager. Like I went in and read for it, but it was basically like, let's see how he does. Uh, and that led straight into Make It or Break It, which was this weird thing because I thought, well, when you start working as an actor, like your life changes and really like it does. But for most people, it doesn't really. And for me, mm-hmm. it, it that show like launched. It was a really big teen show. Um, and within like six months or whatever it was, like I was nominated for a Teen Choice Award. I was 28 playing 18, which is crazy. But I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is exactly how it's supposed to be. You know, like, this is yeah. great. Like, I booked it and like, it's overnight. And then uh, like it, going into the second season, they called me and they're just like, uh, we don't need you to be regular anymore. And we're downgrading you to recurring. And we're just going to focus on the girls. And I was like, this is fine. You know, like everything will be great after that. Um, and I continued to work and things really shifted. I would say in like 2012, 2013, like I had gone on a, on a run of like four or five years where I was just consistently working. And then I don't know what happened in sort of like, you know, the ethos, but I just couldn't book a role. And suddenly it was like, I'm going in and getting down to like the last couple of people um, physically my lower back started really flaring up and I ended up having a back surgery. Um, and that was like, really, I think when I started to like, one, I was questioning, is this what I want to do with my life? Cause I'm just getting so much of, um, well, I realized that my identity had gotten really wrapped up in the fact that I was working as an actor and I was successful. Yeah. And as soon as that was taken away, I had to really dig deep and also realize it's like, wait a minute, a lot of people have treated me a certain way. Either I'm sure they like me, but you also get treated a certain way because of what you represent, not who you actually are. Um, Which is an interesting phenomenon. I don't even know really. And I mean, I was on such a micro scale. I mean, you guys talk to people that are like massive It's like, and I can't imagine if you're like Justin Bieber, what, how do you even like delineate or differentiate those things? Um, But that when my back went out and I had the surgery, my career really got derailed. That was when I was like, oh my God, like what is, what is happening? And a lot of the stuff that I, that I think I subconsciously I didn't realize I was leaning on so much for who I was as a person was just like ripped out uh, that luckily like my family, as you, as you talked about, have been unbelievably supportive. I have an amazing fiance who at the time was my girlfriend um, who was just like wonderfully supportive. It was like those core pieces of my life were just, they were constant and it really helped me. I think in terms of like, 
building this whole travel business that kind of like came out of it, which ironically like pulled off of my degree in finance, trying to figure out how do I, you know, figure out this kind of like currency trading, I guess. And, and, uh, and then also like the entertainment aspect of it. It's like, I look yeah. back at it now and think like the, 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 those struggles and those doors staying shut for me were probably as, as important or more important than any door that ever opened. Cause it's like, it guided me into this whole other part of my life to where I'm kind of decoupled from, you know, someone deciding that I'm right for this role. I have this whole other thing going. That's like completely based off of, you know, I choose where to invest the business money and how to, de- you know, how to develop yeah. everything and, and do all of that. I think that it's, I'm, I'm, grateful for like those years where it was like very successful, but I probably am better developed as a person off of going through like, like, I don't even know, like six or seven years of just like trying to build this business and still audition and get a role here and there and like, you know, work, but like paled in comparison to what I had been doing for five or six years before that. Um, and, and I think a much better person because of it. Yeah, I, we're going to get into to that stuff, which is going to be a lot of fun to to dig into and talk about. But while we're while we're here in this acting phase, right? Another thing that kind of happened while you were going through those those struggles um, physically and with with acting and questioning yourself, your girlfriend and now fiance's career took off, right? Yeah, it launched. Yeah, it massively, launched massively yeah. in a massive way, and you guys are in the same industry. Take us through that. First of all, like it's one of the things that they say in acting and in Hollywood, it's very difficult to find a real relationship in that world, right? Because everyone is kind of competing and and you're taught to compete and kind of look at things superficially. One, how did you find someone in that industry that also was an authentic and real person? And how did you determine that? And then secondly, how did you guys manage that phase, right? You're in the same career her career's taking off yours is kind of you're going through your struggles and your identity things take us into that time period and how that worked from a relationship and how you guys managed that yeah so um we met in 2012 um on a on a television pilot for the CW um it was the creator of one tree hills follow up show and he was teamed with JJ uh, Abrams and it was a project that I uh, had saw, had been tracking since it was in uh, its development uh, because it took place at like a hotel. And I was like, oh my God, like I would just, I, I'm obsessed with hotels. I would love to be on a show that's all about, <laughs> I was to play a hotel concierge. I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, I, I had been, I had had a, 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 uh, a very tumultuous relationship that had ended about a year prior to booking this pilot. Uh, and even the process of booking this pilot was kind of uh, like a fairy tale. Cause I, I, I had gone throughout the process. They couldn't find their lead. They couldn't find their lead. And then two nights before filming was scheduled to start in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, I get a call that's like, Hey, like you, you booked it. So I like flew on a red eye uh, I'm like, oh, I can't believe this just happened on the lead of a new JJ Abrams series. Like this is going to be like, this is insane. Uh, got there and I'm playing, I'm supposed to be like an ex 
baseball player. And I walk on to like the hair and makeup trailer and met Elizabeth. And I don't know, like there was something there, but I was like, I was so myopic on, I, I had a whole script to memorize. Like we were starting shooting like the next day. Um, and we ended up shooting the pilot and each day there was just like this undeniable chemistry between us. And I was like, this is trouble. I just went through this terrible like breakup a year before. <laughs> I was like, I'm George Clooney. This is like before George Clooney in a mall where he was like still like the, the, the ever bachelor. And I was like, I'm Clooney. I'm, I'm not going to do this. Like I'm, I'm never settling down. And I think like I knew pretty, like pretty quickly, like I was in trouble. And I was like, yeah, but this show's going to go. And like, there's how does JJ Abrams show not go and, and Mark Schwann's show like not go. And then uh, we, we like crossed lines, but you know, after the show wrapped, uh, you know, there was clearly like, we weren't just going to be friends. And so there's this period between like when the pilot ends and, and they announce whether it gets picked up the series and we like started dating and it was very much like, yeah, but if this thing goes, like we're going to be in North Carolina isolated. Like, is this the smartest decision? Like, what if this isn't? And uh, it went back and forth. Um, and it was really me being the one who was uh, like more skittish, I think, around the whole thing. I think she was just like, let's just see what happens. And I was like, no, like I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty skittish about this. Uh, and then nightmare. The, you don't know. <laughs> you don't yeah, know. exactly. Do you realize what happened to me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the show didn't go. And I was like, I think I was, I was apoplectic when it didn't go. I was like, I just could not believe that it didn't get picked up. And when I look back at it now, it's like, Oh, well, like I booked it to meet her. Like that was the whole reason that this happened. Uh, Cause she's just been such a cornerstone of my life. And that next year, like she was, she was up for some different things. And like, I could just tell the way she was on set. I was like, she's going to pop. Like she's from England she has this thing about her. Um, and when we met, it was like, well, my career was going like this. And she had just gotten here. It was like yeah, super fresh. Exactly. And then towards the end of the year, she ends up booking Marvel's like first ever TV show. Um, and it was directed by Joss Whedon. And I was like, my head was like exploding for her. Like, this is like, like, this is going to be so huge for you. Um, and earlier that summer, she had turned down another TV show, like with nothing to go home to. Like, she was like, I'm going to have to go back to England. And there's like a train that runs that she's like, I'm just going to serve like tea and biscuits on this train. I was like, you turn this <laughs> down and you're going to do that. Like, what? And I was like, I was like, I, I believe in you, but this is, this is some guts, you know? <laughs> uh, and then this, this Marvel show happened. And I think a big part of it uh, for, she always made me as did the whole production really like a lot of her cast and crew um, always made me feel a part of like the whole experience. So there was never, like I never felt from her, certainly not from her, but really from anyone that was a part of the production. That's like, Oh, well, like we're doing this and yeah. you're kind of like, you know, like you're a plus you're one and like, yeah. yeah, like stay in your lane kind of a thing. Um, and she was just always, there was, there was never a sense that any opportunity that came up for me, that there was a sense it's like, oh, well, this, this isn't on the same level as opportunities coming from me. And it's like the crazy thing. It's like our careers just like flip flopped. 
you know, like I went to, like I'm struggling and she was just every year the show just kept getting picked up and then she would get other opportunities. Um, and I think I just really lucked out with the fact that it's like it never went to like how, how we became, you know, such a great partnership. It's like, she's never had ego about anything. She's never viewed herself as, uh, I, in part, I wonder if, like my struggle wasn't like almost like a constant reminder of like there's there's a cliff and you just yeah. don't know when you're going to like step off that cliff because we would just read for stuff all the time and she's like you're gonna book it like I, I know 100 percent you're gonna book it and then it would just I'd get down the last couple it's like one person launches and the other person's like all right I'm I'm back in the mix and you know I think we had, we have other friends where it's like, they just are like just coasting, just booking, 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 booking. And it's like, that's, that's an amazing reality for them. But for most people, it's like your career is just like, I mean, it's just up yeah. and down and up and down and up and down. And it's a constant, I think, confrontation with failure in the sense that if you don't quickly learn, it has nothing to do with you and it has to do with what industry the industry and like every piece that's working, it's like, well, it, it also means that it didn't, it wasn't really me when I booked it. It's just, I happened to fit at that time. Like it just happened to work. And these right. other times it just doesn't happen to work. So I mean, you see it with even the, like, if you look, you see it with even the biggest actors, like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are some of the big, the biggest actors you see that the movies they're in now no one's no one's doing a, a <laughs> building a 200 million dollar project around them yeah. and that makes you see the reality right yeah of, of what this is for everyone wow yeah, so do you think zach like the the fact that you had both maybe the fact that you had already been you know very successful in your eyes and in her eyes when you met do you think that kind of established equal footing for you guys when, when the situation flipped? I'm sure that, yeah, I mean, I think that's a, that's a good, it, 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 I, I think if both of us were struggling and one person popped, she's the type of person that that would never be like, that would never be lured over me. But I yeah, think so that sounds like the trick is just meet a genuinely good person. Genuinely good person. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that yeah. she, she, she really is an amazing person, but I think, you know, just objectively, you know, ha having some level of success or status going into something, then when it doesn't, you know, I do think it was just, I think it was a big reminder that's like, hey, you just don't really, you just don't really know. And like one series is not a career. That's like, you went into a room and like, this is how I kind of look at it. It's like, I went into make it or break it when I booked it and had two of the worst auditions in my life had no, like, the chemistry read was not successful and I end up like I end up Getting booking it. And I look back, it's like that thing changed my life and it was terrible. Like I stumbled through the whole process. They just wanted me like for whatever reason, they just wanted to like plot me in. And I think it was from other stuff that I had really done. And you look at that, it's like, wow, that's, that's one time or a couple times in a room for a couple of minutes. And until I think you can really string it out, like at any point, your career could just completely be derailed. Um, but it, it certainly is a humbling thing to look and say, you know, this, there's no guarantee in this. And 
So yeah, it's funny. I talk to you know my friends who are athletes and who are also in the entertainment industry, like self, and they say there's nothing. It's like we're still employees, right? Like that freedom that you look for in entrepreneurship and that you're finding now in your new gig, you quickly realize that that's not the case. Everyone might on the outside who's never been on the inside of Hollywood and understands the egos, the king making aspect of it and people playing God. Once you get into that, you understand and, and like you, you're you're aware enough and your mind's open enough to understand that this is a game that you don't have control over. Um, and that somehow that helps a lot of people who are able to keep that perspective. But most people lose that perspective and suddenly think this is a reflection on me, my yeah. abilities or lack of ability. You knew you were a smart guy. You knew that there was something else you could do. How much do you think that helped you not go? I don't know. And you can answer this question. Did you kind of go into a funk or a depression while you were building up this other part of it? Or were you always able to kind of stay, keep, keep mentally balanced without ever going off the deep end when you, it was handed to you, the kingdom was handed to you, and suddenly you felt like you were losing your grip on it? Yeah, dude, that's a great question. Um, I think that I went into a definite funk after, uh, after my back surgery. So this was, I had the, the back surgery was at the end of 2014. And I'd had a shoulder surgery seven years before that. And like, my healing was a little bit longer from the shoulder surgery, yeah. but like I recovered and was better than I was before with the back surgery. It's like, I, I couldn't audition cause I couldn't stand up straight. Like they, they ended up wow. finding that I had these like deteriorated facet joints. And so they thought that it was just a disc issue. And so like they, they fixed the disc issue. Um, but what it actually did was, is it like all of my core support, like everything that I had like been working on when they did the back surgery, when they did the surgery, I lost all of that. And so it actually made these joints that had been deteriorated far worse because I didn't have any musculature to keep them in place. Yeah. And so for all of 2015, I was in constant pain, like much worse pain than I was in 2014. And yeah. so I remember, I remember like, <laughs> It must have been like four or five months after the surgery. And I go into this audition. It was one of the first auditions I went into in person. And I'm supposed to be this like active, like, you know, lead action-y guy. And I was like, I'm just going to sit for this, uh, for this scene. And they're like, okay, that's a, an interesting, interesting choice. I was like, I just think it's going to ground it. And then I'm like sitting <laughs> down, I can like barely sit. And then I dropped one of my pages and I, I like couldn't pick it up. So I'm just like, uh, just, just barely. And I was like, this is like, I'm, I know I'm not going to get it, but it was one of those where it's like, wow, I'm such, I'm a fraction of my former self. Like not only can I not book work, but I can't exercise. I'm just burning through my savings. So it was like every single one of these like stress factors. And I didn't really see a light. Like I knew I would get through it, but I was like, I just don't know. I've never experienced just such constant pain and not figured out a way to try and alleviate it. And it was actually, uh, one of the, 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 the wardrobe designer, costume designer for, uh, agents of shield recommended, uh, this Pilates instructor. And so it was about a year, maybe 15 months after my surgery that I was just in such like pain. 
that I ended up working with her and she used this uh, technique that Chris Hemsworth, I guess, actually used um, to help with his back pain. And that like started my physical recovery. But while I was down and out, like Elizabeth really sat me down and she's like, you, I spent hours and hours and hours and hours reading about how to access these places amazing cabins and hotels and use the credit system to basically yeah. uh, like boost your points and miles and all that stuff. And I was obsessed with it. And she was just like, you know, you need to like do something with this. Cause like, you're like, you're not the friendly. What you're able to time. do is a normal, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's just like, you know, you're, she's like, it's, it's, you know, I was, I was playing video games too much. Like I was like, this is, you know, like I, I just wasn't, I was in a funk. Like I was just, I wasn't productive in the way that I had ever been before. And it was just like, you know, I mean, I, I can attribute it to pain, but it's also, I think it was just mental anguish and just uh, a, combination of everything. a combination of everything. Yeah. And you know, the, the blog really started throughout that period of like this wealth of information that I was just reading about and then trying to figure out, well, what would be my angle on doing it? And I never built a website and how you do all this stuff. Um, and like through that darkness, I think this other thing was sort of birthed, um, which has turned into be not, you know, like changed my life in a whole other way. And I look back and wow, I really, one, I think I had to go through it for just me to, to emerge and to know that I had that capability. But also it's like, well, if I can do it and somehow talk about it, then other people can look and say, well, you know, like I look, it's like, I, I'm going to book another series at some point. If it's 10 yeah. years or 15 years after my last one, I'll just be the dude that did it when, you know, cause I, like I would just look and look, how long did someone go without working before they worked again? I'd be like <laughs> on IMDb just like searching and searching. Well, this guy went for like three years. I can do it. Like I can do that. So it's yeah. like, well, I could be that person. And I, I look back, it's like, well, this all happened for a reason to put me in this position to be able to do these other things. But uh, yeah, I was, I was nothing. Yeah. On that note, isn't there, so I know with women, there tends to be a gap in terms of when they're castable and the transition from being able to play young versus playing like more mother aunt type roles. Um, Is there something similar for men? And then kind of like my follow up to you is because of your background and, and modeling and you know, the way you look and the way that, the casting has trended over recent years uh, more toward minorities, more toward people who look you know, uh, interesting, like different, right? Like very unique. Mm-hmm. Looks. Does that make it like, are your looks a disadvantage for you in acting? Uh, I don't know that it's a disadvantage. I think like what you're, what you're noticing is true. I think what um, one, I think a, a benefit that let's just say like Elizabeth had to me was that her breakout role was a professional. Like it was, she plays a scientist. Mm -hmm. And so then the industry's view, you know, if I'm going to like really try and boil it down, is not that she's like a teen or child actor. She's playing a role on a major series that is an adult role versus my, my biggest struggle. Yeah. Like I was like 28 playing 18. Yeah. And so for a long time, I was just going in for like 22, 19 college guys. Like, dude, I'm 32. Like, and that's what the casting directors would always, and your your agents would send you for. Yeah, and and like the networks would say the same sort of thing. And so they're like, "Well, you just need to get older." Yeah, how do you change that perception? I think 
I mean, honestly, I think I just have had to age up, which yeah. like just get older or, you know, if you book something else, like the pilot that I booked, I was playing mid twenties. So that would have helped had it gone. But it's like, I ended up on some other shows after that where I played a little bit older, but I think the other part of it is as you, as you were speaking, like there, there has been a pivot towards uh, like, like my look used to like when I booked make it or break it, I was not the lead of the show. Like I was down the cast list. Like it was a girl centric show. Yeah. And so I was able to like get that supporting role. Um, where it's now, I think you'll still see a lot of casting to where it's like, maybe there's a white dude lead, but he's almost always a name. So it's yeah. harder for me to get in on those on like down call sheet because they are giving opportunities to a lot more people that, that hadn't had those opportunities in the past. So that's been a different sort of thing to navigate, um, which I, I was like, there's nothing I can really, like I can't do anything about. Right. What, totally. Like I was the flavor of the month and like, that's basically Hollywood. So it's like, it just constantly yeah. changes. It's like, so from that perspective, um, I think the age thing had, more to do with it because I've always played younger than I am, um, which I'm not complaining about that. It just is an odd thing where it's like, I remember the first gig that I did, I think it was 26 or seven. And like the girl was like 15. Yeah. I was like, wow. this is weird. This yeah. is weird guys. And I was like talking to her <laughs> mom. I'm like, look, like I, I get this. Is weird, this, is, but, this, yeah. this, this is too Weinstein-y for me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when you, when you think about now the transition, you, I mean, with TikTok, essentially you're producing your own content too. You're telling stories, yeah. right? When you look at that side of things and especially now, I'm sure, you know, as you're building the travel side, of, of, you know, your professional portfolio, um, that puts you in a different situation financially. Do you look at the acting world now as something where you could actually get involved in, and produce the projects that you act in? Are you looking at it from that perspective now? Or are you, um, w with your reentry you're planning on making, would you still do it kind of the traditional way? Uh, I, I think probably a little bit of both. I mean, the, I, I, I'm working with my fiance on a couple of different projects that we're looking at trying to, to get off the ground and produce. Um, I still audition all the time and get things kind of here and there. So I still get into the mix. Um, I think when I look at TikTok, like one, one of the things I want to do at some point is have a travel show. I don't know exactly yeah. how that's going to end up you know, manifesting itself, but I want to do that on like a streaming platform to some degree. Um, and I think I look at, I look at what has happened on TikTok versus other platforms. And I think to a certain degree, I was influenced by like the model of what those platforms had set out for people that were in my vertical and how they had sort of engaged with those, which then kind of made me a derivative of those first adopters. And I think the success, like my blog had been like constantly growing and I had figured out different avenues, whether like partnering with this, this other site that handled all of my ad revenue and, and negotiated that or like getting affiliate channels. And then uh, I was like booking people's like within Hollywood, there's so many people with just tons and tons of points that I was booking their award tickets and charging like two, 300 bucks a ticket. So there was like 
multiple ways of like monetizing it. TikTok has taken it to just like, it's really changed it. It's, it's taken it like an order of magnitude up. Um, And I think it, I had a conversation right when I had started the blog with a manager that I'm no longer with. And I was saying, I want to go pitch this show. Like, I think there's a TV show here. And this was six years ago. And he's like, well, you need a platform. Like you need, you know, you need a social media presence. I was like, well, if I had a social media presence, like, or if I was on another show, they would be coming to me. Like I would, I wouldn't have to like grind it out to to, to pitch it. Like it's sort of the weird way that, that the world works. Um, but I'm, I, I like the, the, the democratic, I think the, the way that TikTok allows you to, to flourish in a way that other, um, other platforms don't, I think it's, it's, it's been unbelievable to so many people that are like in my position. Um, but it also keeps you on your toes because like, can you expand a little bit on that? Um, what what do you like about the TikTok platform, especially as a creator versus other platforms? Well, I think like you look at uh, like if you just compare it to say like Instagram or Facebook, I think that those have basically become large advertising platforms that funnel traffic. If you have a large platform or you have a large advertising budget, you can generate an enormous amount of views and eyeballs on your content. But in terms of like starting from scratch um, and trying to have like, if you have something that you think is really good content and trying to actually disseminate that and get it in front of a wide audience, I think it's extremely difficult. And I think that their algorithm, I I suppose rightfully so for what they're doing is it's engineered to benefit those like to the haves, but the have not basically, it's very difficult for them to, to kind of, go up the food chain and TikTok is just not that it's like, I think it's, it's incredibly democratic in the sense it's like, look, if you make good content and certainly if you have a massive audience, you're going to get published to that audience as well. But you know, I don't, I have 600 and some thousand followers. It's like, I put a video up yesterday. One of them got over a hundred thousand views in less than 24 hours. The other one has five. Well, clearly one is like working and the other yeah. one is like, for some people, they like it. And I think that that's really how the world should work. It's like, it, it keeps me on my toes and thinking of new creative ways to take what is actually just kind of finance and accounting and advertising it with really cool ways to fly and travel and, and funny little anecdotes. And it's like, how do I package that together? And on Instagram, I think you see people with massive platforms put out the crappiest content that still gets yeah. put in front of a lot of people. It's like, well, you either have a big advertising budget or you were probably an early adopter or you're a part of some other project that has given you an enormous fan base. And I think with TikTok, it's like, I've learned so much about SEO and Google ads. Like, it doesn't matter what niche you're in if you make really good engaging content on TikTok, like you're going to find an audience and your business yeah. literally change. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, it's really they TikTok's not paying me. I'm just a, I'm just a believer. Yeah. No, no, I mean, it's, I've, it's I've, actually, I've actually seen kind of what's happened with your, with your TikTok. You know, I didn't know. I just got on TikTok a few weeks ago. Cause V's, V's on the hunt. V's uh, you know, he's been putting up his content 
he might yeah, be the next dude. one. Just, yeah, dude. I'm just, you know, happens. I'm just getting I'm just getting comfortable because I've always been a guy who stays behind the scenes, right? I have a huge network, but I never really wanted to be in front of a camera. But the thing that in listening to you speak, I'm really understanding that every experience that you had in life is playing a role in your success currently, right? Under, even understanding these business models and, and, and how they work and then crafting a plan around them, right? A lot of people are just creatives and they simply understand how to make the content, but they're not thinking about all these other variables that you have to think about, right? 100%, they just think yeah. that if I put something cool up on Instagram, it's going to go viral. And that's just not the truth anymore on a platform like Instagram. But what I what I really like about not just what you're doing, but what you how you framed it, the democratization of content, right, is that no longer you've been through that Hollywood world where so much is dictated by what someone else tells you. And Partha said this last week, and I'm going to take it from him, is he's like, if you play the social hierarchy game and you focus on that, and that's what's going to limit you, right? What's What hasn't limited you is the sense that Yes, you were you were bothered that you may not have ever gotten as far as you wanted to get yet as an actor, but it didn't prevent you from saying, you know what, there's other things that I can do. And I'm not doing this for what I'm doing day to day isn't for everyone else. And what I also love specifically about what you're doing is I know that since I've known you, it's something that brings you a lot of joy. Traveling has always been something that you love doing experiencing great hotels and great travel experiences is something authentic to who you are as a person, right? So mm -hmm. it's not forced. And so I think there's something there that that makes it so connecting to people because it's genuine and it's authentic, right? May not be acting, but in a lot of ways it is because you're bringing that enthusiasm and excitement, not to mind, like not to mention like the actual shit you're doing, which we're trying to, which we need to kind of get into as well. Like take us into this process of say you want to have an experience that costs a hundred thousand dollars and you, <laughs> you Zach decide I'm going to make this happen. Take us into yeah, that. Process. Well, uh, well, Juan, thank you for those kind words. That's, that's, uh, that's, that means a lot. Um, we've known each other for a long time. So that's, that means a lot to me. B. Um, but yeah, I, I, I look, the, the process is interesting. I, I look to when you, you're talking about these various pieces coming together right now. And it's like, I've written over the last five or six years, something like 2000 or 20 something hundred articles on the, on the blog. And I've seen other people on TikTok. And I think that this is, and I'm not saying this to like, to, to, to brag about that because so many of them didn't do anything. Like, they, they got, you know, 500 views or like, you know, sometimes they, some of them will pop, but I look back, it's like it honed my craft a lot. It honed understanding a lot of the depth, being able to differentiate between all these various airlines and their products and hotels and their programs. And it's something that I look at, I've seen other people in the travel space on TikTok, like talk about some of the stuff that I'm talking about, but they don't have a site. Like they haven't been grinding it for like the last however many years to have this whole big base here to say like, like this is the thing that's monetized. And so now I'm kind of the ad to say like, go check this thing out. 
Yeah. And that's what's going, like, that's what's, you know, scaling. And I look back at that. That's like, man, if I, not, if I, you know, like I made a commitment to myself, what was it like in 2017, I was like, I'll write at least a post a day. And some days it was like three or four posts if there was like big traffic days. And it's like all of that stuff is now so valuable. But when I was mining it, it's like, this is an absolute grind. And anyways, so that's just a big thing. It's like, I think for anyone who would be listening to it, it's like, you just don't know when the things that you're doing now are going to be so unbelievably valuable in the future. Um, But I just say, Zach, I love it. You built the boat and you just waited for the wind, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's sick. Like, the first of all, I just I just want to I want to cut in and just say like the way that you're you look at life is very healthy. It's a very refreshing perspective. Oh, thank you, dude. Yeah, man, thank and it's you. it's cool. I mean, I could see why V speaks so highly of you, but the the entire approach just is super dope. And I think for our listeners, the biggest note is the persistence, right? It's it's the fact that you did set that goal and you stuck to it for years. And I'm sure there were wins along the way, but I, I, we're all experiencing this on, on this, you know, line right now. There's a lot of moments where you're like, what the heck am I doing with my time every yeah. day? But yeah. if you change yeah. directions too often, you never actually get somewhere. The fact that you, with acting or with this, with the travel stuff, the fact that you just picked the direction, owned it and just committed is the reason it's working. It's not because you're on TikTok. It's not because you got something yeah. to go viral. It's because you've been building this thing for years. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and I think in a lot of sense, it's like, you know, preparation meets opportunity. And that's like, you know, that's the whole, the whole luck part of it. It's like, well, I, I had been waiting. Like I didn't realize I was working so hard for TikTok to just like appear in my life. And I'll even like, I'm sure you guys probably listen to Gary V and whatnot as well, but it's yeah. like, he had been such an evangelist for TikTok, And I was like, I, I just believe what he says. Like, I just think that he is just so plugged into something. And like, he was a huge reason. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to start this, this TikTok thing. Yeah. Part I'm just, my, my evangelist. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so like that, that was a huge reason also. I was just like, I, and I didn't realize that that's why I started listening to gear. I have no idea how I ever stumbled yeah. upon him. And I look at that. It's like, you know, there's that North star thing again, you know, it's where it's just like, wow, like that seed was planted. And then until finally I was just like, I'm just going to do it. And everyone's like, Oh, TikTok, this dumb dance thing. It's like for kids and whatever. And it's like, you know, putting my first one up, it was well over a year ago now, a year and a half or something. Um, but it is, I think that that's the persistence part of it is you just keep, you just keep doing it. Um, but you're asking about how how do I conceptualize or how does yeah. how does these how do you crazy trips? Yeah, I know, I know we're we're getting close to. How are you on time? Do you have another five five ten minutes? I do. Yeah, I'm 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 cool. If you guys are all right. Okay, cool. Let's let's get into it then. Take us take um, us through the process of of making dreams into realities lifestyles of the rich and famous uh, and also can you can you drop the website for your blog too for our listeners so they can tune into yes. that while they're listening yes. it's uh, www.monkeymiles.com and there's this okay. little stuffed monkey that is kind of the uh the spokesman the for the blog so yeah the mascot exactly um yeah i mean i, I basically look at 
whether it's airline miles, hotel points, and, and particularly credit card points and miles, um, and how you can use those, particularly from transferable point programs like uh, American Express or Chase City, uh, Cap One, and how you can access these sweet spots in partner programs and airline programs. So instead of redeeming, which some people still like to, but instead of redeeming, you know, in like the Chase Travel or Amex Travel, I'll utilize these partners to get outsized value. And so uh, I started getting into that before I started the blog and then started really understanding that there's a wide, a wide difference between what one business class may be versus, a, you know, another airline or even within an airline. So then I started honing, how do you find which planes, which configurations? And so then when people come to me and say, I've got, you know, a half a million Amex points and I'm going, I want to do a honeymoon in the Maldives. Like I, in the back of my head already know, well, here's how I would use them. And here's the airlines that I would fly. And I know the resorts because I've read all the reviews or been to them myself and how they can transfer those points into programs to basically unlock these insane, like insane trips. Um, I'd say like, the biggest one that I ever did was actually for my mom's 75th, where my dad and I presented her with this book and we had like a poem in it um, and then a weather report. And it was basically that we were going to leave for 24 nights, go around the world and hit up these different places that had been on her bucket list that she hadn't been to. Um, and so we did. And so we left and, and we did this $125,000 trip for 5K and went to like we went to see the great wall of china we went to healers in bali we went through like singapore and dubai and abu dhabi she'd worn the same uh perfume for 50 years so we went to the factory in the south of france and like they only flew the best first class like doors and champagne and like the whole thing we only stayed in five-star hotels um and it was this like insane thing that i was like constantly tinkering with as we were like going around the world and that became like a huge, like, I think it was a pivoting thing for me. Cause it's like, Oh wow. I can do it at that, like at that level. And it sort of yeah. opened up then my other business of planning those types of trips for, for other people, which I do far less of now cause it's so time consuming and we're in COVID, but um, it opened up a whole nother Avenue for my business. Dude, that's, that's, that's so powerful. That's a, that's such a powerful story. The fact that you did it for your mom too is that's the best, man. It was it was super fun, man. It was it was and she the other part of it was we gave her weather reports cuz we said she's a she really likes to know, like to 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 like organize and control things. And so we said, "Well, would you be okay if you didn't know where you're going until you got your boarding pass?" And so we gave her like these blind weather reports. So she like knew what she'd be getting into and then she wouldn't know it like till she got her first one. She's like, Oh, oh my God, man. we're going to Hong Kong. Oh my God, <laughs> we're going to Dubai, like all the way through. So it was just like a really cool experience. Yeah, and you, you, know, you were able to document all of it on video, I hope. Quite a bit of it. Yeah, quite yeah. a bit of it. Yeah. That's good. That's that's a great great memory. I'm sure she's very appreciative of it and she's well deserving of it um as well. So that's that's just really cool, man. And I know you can't give away all your secrets, <laughs> but but uh, I think we want to get you out of here asking you um, a couple fun questions. 
outside okay. of outside of the top. And I think one of them, you know, we typically ask people who their top five musicians and athletes are because it gives us a glimpse into kind of who inspires them, right? Okay. And I think we're going to add one to yours, which is your top five travel destinations. So okay. you've, got three, you've got three top fives to answer. So let's start with the first one, your, uh, your top five musicians, musicians that have influenced you personally. Top five musicians that have influenced me. Um, you know, it's funny. Kenny G was my first concert. I remember. Uh, you guys have oh, not wow. heard Kenny G. So we're going to do Kenny G. Um, who now? I mean, like, you I played love, the sax, I love right? I did play the saxophone yeah. for a long time yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, lo- I, I, I love Kanye stuff. I think he, I think he's, he's awesome. Um, let's go with God. I listened to a lot of, uh, I almost booked Glee off of singing Wonderwall by Oasis, so that's been pretty nice. uh, pretty pivotal to me. One of my um, yeah, but they were they were awesome. Uh, I'd say U two is phenomenal, and um, I mean we'll go Jay Z as well. Nice, nice eclectic mix right there. Yeah, man. yeah from Kenny G to Jay Z. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, Kenny G was on a Kanye track recently, so was he? I didn't Small know world. That. on that um, well, on the Christian album he dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's all. Nice. I did nice. not know that. Now you're your uh, top your top five athletes. Top five athletes. Uh MJ, we'll go Tiger, Jack Nicholas. Um can I say Jackie Chan? I mean I feel like he's an yeah, athlete. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good one. That hasn't yeah. come up yet. Um but I, I, I just love how he's been able to 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 meld martial arts into comedy and, and everything else. Um and who would be my who would be my fifth? Um, you know what? I'm gonna go with Nolan Ryan. I was a huge Nolan Ryan fan when I was uh, growing up. Pitcher. Nice. That's so awesome. That's nice. awesome. Yeah, former baseball player, right? This first role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Nice. Uh, and then my five my five travel destinations. This, uh, this Antarctica is probably number one. Like I, I want to go really? on an ice breaking trip down to Antarctica. That's a big one. Um, I'm trying to think. I want to go see the wildebeest, um, the migration in like the Serengeti and uh, the gorillas in Rwanda. Like I would like to do that trip. Um, gosh, I haven't been. There's a couple in Africa that I'd like to go to. Um, I want to go to Russia. I haven't been to Russia and, and checked out. I want to go there too. Everyone's everyone's too scared. Maybe we can go together. Everyone's too scared to go there, man. I mean, now it's like I don't I don't know now, but I, I was I'd had a couple of trips planned to go there, and they just kept falling through. The visa is so difficult to get to. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think where else. Oh, I want to go to the Maldives or Bora Bora. Those are two places, but I think that that'll happen um, uh, sooner than later. I'm trying to think if the, you know, I, I'd like to go see. I've been to India, but I haven't gone to see the tigers in India. So I'd like to do like the, the tiger safari, um, like around Jaipur. I'd like to go and do that. Nice. That's awesome, dude. Nice. Have you, how many, how many uh, countries have you been to? Uh, I'm in the forties. My goal was to hit 50 by 40. Um, but I'm, I think I'm at like 44 or 45 or something like that. I have to sit down wrench in that, yeah. I bet. And, yeah, do wrench in it. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty twenty was gonna be a big travel year, but yeah. A lot. You no, know, it's funny. That's what our both of our our, our brands, uh, 
Lasso's brand, Lasso, is built on the theme of stay moving. And then obviously Pilot Boys is built on being the captain of your own destiny and yeah. and, and living life by your rules. And I think you've you've done that really well. The final question I wanted to ask you is tapping into that, right? Because you've traveled to all these places, how much you feel like that's improved your perspective on life and your worldview, actually experiencing a place? Because I feel like a lot of people that I speak to that haven't experienced a lot more than the United States, I feel like they've limited themselves in a, in a lot of ways. To take us into that, like the type of perspective just seeing the world has given you in life. I, I think it's invaluable to be quite honest. I think that uh, like the, the more, the more diverse ways that people live their lives, I think one, it, it unlocks a part of you to see some, to, to see this like magical thing of life that we have through a different prism or maybe just a different vantage point on the prism. Um, and I think it's like, you realize like how small you are and also going to places that are more like economically challenged. Mm -hmm. You see a different kind of joy that is detached from like material and, you know, like career success. And often mm -hmm. I've, I've been around a lot of people that have a far, I think, richer sense of joy and uh, fulfillment than, you know, that, that, than I would interact with in the States. And I think that that really says a lot. And it's like, there's a lot that you can, that, that I have personally learned through that. Um, I think it's just wonderful. Like, I think it, it's such, a, it's an, it's enormous, it's an investment of your capital, but the return on it in terms of what it does yes. for your own perspective and how you can be introspective into your own existence in life is tremendous. Like I, I couldn't recommend it more. And, you know, you don't need to do it in business and first class. Although <laughs> it's nice. When you can, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're most definitely going to get an email from me after this, Zach. Yeah, for some, dude. For some help. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Zach, man, this has been great. You know, we're going to keep keep in touch, obviously. And with your business, if the opportunities present yourself, we'd love to to have you back. We really do appreciate yeah, taking the time. Um, Absolutely. To, My pleasure. To catch up with us, man. And uh, keep traveling, keep acting, keep blogging. Now, keep smiling, man. Yeah, thank you, dude. Thank you, Partha. Thanks, Zach. Send your wishes to my, your parents for me. I absolutely will. And, and, and the same to yours. All right. Sounds good. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Hey, guys, this is Partha. You might know me as a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. Lasso is a high performance lifestyle brand that makes the Lasso Sock 2.0, the most functional sock ever to help you stay moving on any adventure you choose. Lasso uses patented compression technology with scientifically proven ankle stability to support key ligaments and tendons as well as moisture wicking materials and built-in strike padding. So every single step is stable, soft, and cool. Lasso socks are also used to treat foot and ankle conditions like plantar fasciitis, Achilles pain, ankle soreness, circulation issues, and more. Check them out at lassogear.com or at lassogear on social media. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. 
Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. All right, news and notes. We are back. The Pilot Boys are back in business, baby. Yes, man. What a great interview we just had with uh, with with Zach. I mean, like it fits. Isn't it crazy how much the things that you and I talk about in terms of our brand, kind of in being in line, our brands being in line with how he lives his life. Yeah. Right? Which is just stay moving, be you. Don't let the bullshit phase you too much. The bullshit's going to be there, but just find a way to manage it and keep moving. You know, dude, he's he's so put together. Like his yeah. whole approach to life is so intentional, so focused. Yep, yep. And My you God. realize that comes from one great parenting, right? Yeah. And and the second is just diversity and experiences and living without fear. True. You know? True. Most of life is is what you learn through experience. It's not what you read in a book, right? So listening to him, it was like even even the times of depression, like he was like, Oh yeah, yeah, I was in a funk for a little bit. Yeah. Like, dude, what? Like, did that not affect you deeper than that? Like that's yeah. incredible. That's an incredible worldview to have. Yes, it is. It yeah. is. Very balanced guy. That's why yeah. that's why he's gonna keep finding success in whatever yeah. he does. Um but let's get into this, man. Let's get into like what's what's been going on. It seems like I don't know about you, but I've I've worked really hard in my life to make make a little bit of money. It seemed like everybody became millionaires last week suddenly off of uh, <laughs> off of failing stocks and failing companies. That whole that whole GameStop <laughs> situation, bro. And you know, if you're listening to this, you know we had to talk about this. Yes, we you did. Know. So here's the context there's this subreddit called wall street bets and they have a community where they assess different stocks they want to invest in and they buy what they want to buy together or sell what they want to sell together and they're not usually super coordinated usually people yeah. are posting what they're doing but yeah. you know in the in the age of meme culture everybody just randomly decided they wanted to pump up gamestop and a lot of it you know came because they saw some of the hedge funds were shorting GameStop yes. and some of these brands. And so they decided, hey, let's all run up this stock. Let's all put our money into it and get the price up so that these hedge funds lose money on their short. And uh, that's what they did. And they were incredibly successful at raising that. And as the numbers went up, you know, more and more of the market started getting in on that wave. And I mean, we saw a whole bunch of people make a lot of money. You know, a few friends yep. that I have did did pretty well. But at the same time, I think it shows the level of FOMO that stock market trading creates. Because yes. after this, I can't tell you how many friends I had reach out and talk to me about how do I get into investing? How do I get into buying stocks? How do I get into this? How do I get yep. into that? And it's like, first of all, Right after a bunch of people make money is the worst time to try and get into something. Right? <laughs> I know. I was just talking about think about how many people got into GameStop yes last week. At yeah, something doesn't make any sense. So, first thing, first things first, for anyone listening, you know, don't make your money decisions based on what everybody else is doing. Like, yes, yes. make the decisions that are authentic to you. Yes. Now. <laughs> There's no get rich quick strategy, right? Buying yeah. GameStop was a terrible decision on all of these players' parts, but because they coordinated it 
it it was effective. Yeah. But from a business standpoint, a technical standpoint, you know, there's some rationale for GameStop to have had more value to their stock than it did at the beginning of last week, yeah. but not to have the the value it has now. So yeah. it's important to remember that there's a lot of ways to make money in the world, but when the logic doesn't fit, then that falls into the category of luck. Yes. And the thing about luck, you know, and you study this throughout history, if if you don't actually earn the money that you make, it makes it a lot more difficult to manage your life after you've made the money. Yeah. You see this with lottery winners. If you just go and look up lottery winner stories and you see the nightmares that most of these people's lives become after the fact, because there's a guilt that will always follow you when you do not feel ownership, whether it's money, whether it's, whether it's anything that's, that's a possession of yours. If you don't feel like you went through the blood, sweat and tears of earning it. Now, again, you mentioned investing. There's a big difference between investing and trading. Yes. Trading is gambling. Timing the market is impossible. The only tried and true strategy is if you think instead of timing the market, you think of time in the market. So what you're investing, the most helpful way to look at it is to say, what am I willing to invest so that I can see the return, not tomorrow, but 20 years from now, 30 years from now? I know that's really hard to do in FOMO culture, and I'm not going to tell people <laughs> not what to do with their money. But it's there's enough data out there to show that day trading is not a highly successful endeavor for most of us. And this is coming 100%. from someone who has a degree in finance and who's technically supposed to be good at this stuff. <laughs> I know what I don't know. So I don't make these type of bets and I don't feel bad when I miss out on them because I have my own game plan. You have to have... Like you said, Partha, create a plan and vision for your life in all aspects that's true to you, right? And also ask yourself reasonable questions. Why would you invest? I have a risky part of my portfolio that I've invested in some of these stocks that I'm like three to four years from now when we're completely out of this COVID situation, I'll get a return on these. But don't invest your life savings in those nope. type of bets, right? Nope. You know, and, and that's the mistake that's happening is I'm hearing a lot of, we're hearing all the great stories of people who are making tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions off of GameStop, but we're not hearing about the poor bloke who invested $5,000 of their set, what was in their savings account when GameStop was going up. And now they're sitting at GameStop at $130, yeah. hoping that it will get back to $400. Let me tell you something, Partha. <laughs> It's not going back there. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, it's funny because everyone gets attracted to these stories of like a few people making a ton of money in yes. some random event and they try to plan their life to create those opportunities for themselves, right? If I can do this, oh man, I'll be good. You know, yeah. if I can just do this. And you end up spending years chasing after something that's ephemeral and yeah. you never have built any sort of real foundation, knowledge, or approach that's yeah. repeatable or consistent. So, you know, now that we've put that disclaimer out there for everybody, you know, this shit was hilarious because hedge funds in general, 
pretty crooked. The whole yeah. financial machine is a little crooked. Yeah. So it's kind of nice sometimes to see people get get screwed a little bit by yeah. the general public. But at the same time, it's it's such a tricky situation because what where a lot of the controversy started was on the platform Robinhood, who yeah. initially, you know, their positioning to the market, and this is a, a note on brand. Everything that they had said up until last week was that we created this platform to democratize trading, to make it easier for regular people to trade. That's why we yeah. don't have fees. That's why we do our model the way we do. Well, very few people know that Robinhood's model works because they collect data on all of your trades. There's a 15-minute delay from when you put in a trade to when it actually yeah. happens. They sell that data to hedge funds. Hedge funds will high-frequency trade in the interim because they know those volumes are coming in. And so they're making a ton of money on fractions of cents on every single trade that you're doing, yeah. but they're they're you know they're doing it with volume. So and they're, and they're telling you they're the good guys, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Robinhood's one of their largest shareholders and one of their major financial partners is um, I, can, I cannot remember the name of this fund, but it's this hedge fund. Do you remember the name off the top of your head, V? Was it Citadel? Citadel, Citadel, yep. Yeah. Citadel, who took a heavy short position. Now, I believe it was Citadel that also shorted Tesla, right? Yeah. And so Elon's already got beef with them. Yeah. So he eggs this whole thing forward last week because he tweeted, hey, let's take GameStop up. Yeah. Along with Wall Street bets. So now you've got Elon's fan base plus a whole bunch of people on the internet all going against Citadel because Citadel took a short position on Tesla and Elon was pissed. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. first of all, there's a lot of factors that came together <laughs> to make this thing happen. Yeah. Robin Hood being in the middle gets a phone call from Citadel. It's essentially like, hey, it's not okay. Yeah. So Robin Hood bans people from selling, right? Selling, buying, buying GameStop shares. Yes. From buying. Buying lifts the price, selling lowers the price. So essentially what they did was they fixed the market so that Citadel could only make money from the situ situation they were in because they were already so deep on that position. Yeah. Super unethical. And I think the most important thing, I saw this quote circulating from Warren Buffett, it takes 20 years to build a brand. It takes one, uh, like one decision to lose yeah. a brand, to lose yeah. branding, right? Yeah. Up until that point, Robinhood stood for the democratization of trading. Mm -hmm. And we kind of turned a blind eye to the fact that they were, you know, kind of screwing everybody that was trading on the platform. Of, they were part of the system. Yeah. You always pay a fee. You just yeah. have to figure out in what form, right? Nothing is free. Yeah. That was the form. So, yeah. okay, we were living with that until Robinhood said, hey, actually, the second one of these hedge funds is losing money, we're going to change the rules and take the money out of regular people's pockets and give it back to the hedge fund. That, to me, is where we have a problem. Because number yeah. one, you know, it's against your brand. It's against what your company is supposed to be for. Number two, it's unethical. Number three, I think the Robinhood founders should be going to jail for this. I think this is a, it's a criminal offense to lock the market that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in disagreement with you. The one area that I will say, it created a difficult dilemma for Robin Hood because I don't think that they believed that they could cover all of the action that was taking place in addition to the action that was going on because they actually need to be able to cover 
all of these transactions, right? So that's right. another factor they could give you some sympathy for them, right? Not all the other factors are still true, right? Like very dishonest business model in terms of how they promote and market themselves and something, you know, the federal government is trying to address. And we talked about before is how are companies using our data? We have the right to know that, right? But they're not the only company and the only social media or platform like that doing that. But it raises that question again of how much do we as citizens have the right to know what our data is being sold for? And if our data is being sold, don't try to hustle us by saying, oh, by the way, your trades are free when you're making, you know, a, a, a variable or 2x or 3x what my trade is off of my data. That's not a fair and equitable distribution right. of that, right? Right. Um so those those are those are just a couple of things in terms of digging deeper. But I agree, like this idea of I I have always hated the idea of derivatives and options trading. Even though I know people make money off of it, there's just something un-American to me and un about betting against a company who's trying to employ people and build a brand, betting against their success. Yeah. I don't think that that's a, that's it's just not a positive way to live. No, it's not. And that's why these hedge fund guys are the way that they are. Right. You know, some of the funnier articles that were written, those people are really depressed for the most part. Yeah. And everything that they do is a transaction, yeah. you know, moment to moment transaction. And like you were saying, it's not a happy way to live life. And it's also a very, very morally, challenging way to live life right where you, you become obsessed with money to the point where that's all you're thinking about these guys are looking at this specifically only as money they don't care if they believe in amazon or gamestop it's just really a constant bet a high form of compulsive gambling is the way that i look at it yeah one well, look on the note of robin hood needing to cover financially right had yep. needed to have enough access to liquidity it's not true that that's a reason for them to to make the decision to to halt trading but no that's not why they did it right mm -hmm. it was 100 for the hedge funds even if they had halted both sides the buy and the sell side right yeah still it's part of their business model they're trying to be a broker the only thing that would have happened if they did need leverage, I believe it was in the clubhouse chat with Elon Musk, the Robinhood CEO said they would they needed some three billion, but because they stopped the trading, it ended up only being seven hundred million that they needed to raise, right? Yeah. The only difference there is how much of that company the Robinhood CEO owns after they borrow the money. That's yeah. completely in his own self interest that he chose to screw over, you know, literally millions of people. Yeah. Right. That yep. to me is unforgivable, especially yep. as a startup founder. And that's the deeper problem here. And, you know, and you, you, you're facing this, I've faced it. These are the type of decisions that I think it boils back down to the psychology behind money and what it does to people, even well-intentioned people. I don't know if the Robin Hood people really went into this with illicit intention per se. They no, thought they were. They, they clearly, they clearly bungled it. Like that's why yeah. he's trying to take these other PR opportunities. Yeah, 
Yeah. They, they definitely bungled it. And then the platform itself was this model that they're selling the world, naming their app Robinhood, because I get transaction free trades on TD Ameritrade. I'm not on Robinhood. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if there's something specific in terms of margin and stuff. It's easier to access capital if you're borrowing money, which is another thing that I would discourage people from doing is borrowing money to day trade. That is not usually a recipe for success. <laughs> just a just a warning. Well, not your success. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Someone yeah. else's success. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So th- th- with that said, it's like, do we have to start digging deeper into these CEOs and these big tech companies about what's happening. The data seems to be, and you know this, it seems to be the grand problem that we have in the world. What is happening with our data? How is it being monetized? And who deserves a share of it, right? Yeah. Who, who owns a piece of it? And is there something wrong with telling your customer one thing and that not being the full reality behind what it is? Should you have to disclose openly to your customer that you're selling their data and that is how your transactions are made for free well technically they do you just yeah people just don't read it yeah Yeah, by the way most people who use the platform know that that's happening but i think it's it's worse when when you see the company flip does that make sense yeah yeah that's that's ultimately the moment where you look in the mirror as a trader or as a customer of Robinhood, and you say this company doesn't stand for what I believe in, and then they I'm stand just, for what they believe in. Yeah, they don't stand for what, and it's a great brand exercise. Yeah, and why it's important to really understand your brand before you put it out in the world. Be clear in your intention, because I think human beings, if you're honest with them from the outset, they can handle just about anything. You know, right? Um, and you know, you know what's interesting to me about the decision too is that. You know, if you're if you're the Robinhood CEO, right? If you're the exec team, if you're the board, whoever's in that room, I'm shocked there's not a voice in that room saying, "Hey, stop! What's the right thing to do? We don't care yeah. about money. We don't care about any of this. What's the right thing to do? What do we so stand do for? Yeah. What are our principles? What are our core principles? And it's like I f- and you, f- you know, we find this all the time when. People get squeezed, either they get squeezed and put into a bad financial spot or the opposite happens where they're making a lot of money without doing a whole lot of work. There's this thing that happens to people, man, because these Wall Street bets guys that are, 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 they're not Robin Hoods. They're not stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. They're stealing from the more rich and making themselves a little richer. These aren't poor (laughs) people. Yeah. That, that are making these trades, but they suddenly start justifying their own behavior Yeah, in a way that's like the, the thing that you're saying you're so mad at these, these short sellers for, you're causing the same problem. When you run a stock's price up like that and then it collapses, that creates a lot of problems. You're right. Well, especially when it's like, well. what, what is the purpose? Like, are you running it up because you want to get back at the people on the other side of the position? And yep. if so, like, why? Yeah. Why? What's the purpose of trying to make money by draining it from somebody? Like that's such a zero sum game. Yeah. When you could be spreading, there's just a lot smarter ways to to create wealth. And if you really hate what these people represent and what they do, then why would you want to behave the same way they do? Yeah. It's a weird 
dynamic there that I'm I'm not fully understanding, right? Well, I like, think that's the hypocrisy of um in general, right? Commentary and anything populist or nationalist. Uh the hypocrisy is that we want to take away the establishment because they're not fair to us. Yeah. But the process in which you do that is not fair. Yes. So, you know, you're not different. You know yeah. what I mean? You're doing it the exact same way. And there can be growth. There can be evolution as power structures change, but it requires, you know, conscious thought and awareness about why and how you're going about achieving something. Yeah. I mean, there, there is the the case that people say, well, this brings awareness to it. Look, if you've been in the markets long enough, these type of phenomena have been happening yeah. since the start of capital markets, since the stock market, you know, the difference between the hedge fund managers and these guys on wall street bets is they're doing it for the attention, right? They're doing it be the Wall Street guys that just quietly go about making their money, and when these guys like get caught trying to trying to short squeeze a stock and it doesn't work, yeah, you know we'll see what they're really made of. Well, right? dude, I mean, I think this is this is cancel culture, but financially embodied, right? Like this yeah. is this is us having a very very clear insight as to how damaging or like impactful it can be to have financial ramifications for people yeah. just being pissed about something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great. And it's also like standing on our so soapbox that we like to stand on about <laughs> money versus value and creating yeah. value. I, I like the stock market. I enjoy investing. I enjoy finding companies that I believe in and investing in them and seeing their future, right? Um, in an easy to do way. But what I don't think is healthy is the idea I could have gone in and become an investment banker or done any of these things. But the reason that I didn't is I was like, that could lead to a lot of depression. If this is what you, fo you're not focusing on what value you can create in life but you're focused so much on extracting value from other people's success. Yeah. And that's kind of a very macro way to look at this, but that's why you have to, you know, it's a, it's a dangerous thing. Everybody wants to get rich, but nobody's thinking about why. Yeah. You know, outside of the money and the money is not, it's, it's over and over. I know guys who are, who've made hundreds of millions of dollars who are empty inside. And that's that's where this thing gets dangerous is this this FOMO culture that's happening in, in, in the stock market now. It's a very dangerous precedent because you have people who are coming into markets uneducated simply because they're like, damn, I want to make some money on games. Literally, people have asked me, how do I make make money like these guys being me on too. games? Yeah. I said, if I had the answer to that, then I would be Elon Musk. Well, that's the <laughs> thing is there's no answer to that, right? Because there is. You could you could be a day trader. That's an occupation. And yes. you'll you'll make a living. Sure. Will you make millions of dollars? Probably not. You'll probably yeah. make enough to make a living and it'll be a comfortable living and if you're good at it. But 70% of people don't. So right. it's gambling. It's proportional to really everything else. And yeah. if you look at investing which is kind of having your money in the market you know that's a totally different approach yes it's a totally different goal and it's a totally different desire and like i have people i'm i my view 
I'll just share this. My view is the market is for preserving wealth because yes. it beats the rate of interest. And so all I'm trying to do with any cash in the market is the you know, achieve market relative returns, you know, yeah. essentially match the S&P. And for me, it's like I put my money in companies that I believe in because yeah. I think every stock you buy is a vote of confidence in a founder, in a CEO, in an executive team, and in a mission. So my money's in Tesla, my money's in Apple, my money's yep. in you know Disney, my money's in companies that I genuinely look up to and I'm inspired by. Yeah. And that has served me well. And you know, when it doesn't from a financial standpoint, then it won't. And that's okay. Yep. But like yep. my view is that my money should be in places that, you know, it it is pushing the companies that and it's it's not a lot. You know what I mean? I'm not doing the same, I'm not making a hedge fund size impact, obviously, I'm much, much, much smaller than that. So, you know, what is what is the outcome? Well, I'm not trying to make money there. I make my money elsewhere with business, with creating value yeah. and all of that in the world. And so it's like when you have actual cash, you know, market is one place in which you can store it. You could also get a house. You could also do a million other things with cash. Yeah. So I don't know. I think it's just it's an exciting narrative to make a bunch of money in the stock market, but it's yeah. not a realistic narrative for most people. I mean, it goes to a lot of these things like people because it's financial instrument and it's got this kind of like class. It's it's no different. Day trading is no different than gambling on sports. It's no different than than going to the poker table and and playing poker to try to win money day to day. And what I will say also it is it's as a day trader, and I've spent times when I've been unemployed or had issues, I've day traded at times just to kind of kind of make some money, right? And I've been able to do that at times. But there's something very draining about having to wake up every morning and sit there and watch what this market is going to do. And you don't have control. And day to day, if it goes down 500 points, that day is ruined. If it goes up 500 points, your day is great. Like that is a very, from a psychological standpoint, that's not for everyone either. You have to have a very balanced mind frame to be able to handle those challenges. For me now, like the way I look at investing is I want to get to a point where whether the market, and I feel like I'm getting there, where if the market goes down 500 points today, I'm okay. And if it goes up 500 points tomorrow, I'm okay. I'm not so emotionally engaged to what's happening day to day. That's all noise. That's all entertainment. Yep. If yep. you got a, a strategy and a game plan that looks at this, like you said, as an investment, there's a difference between an investment in a job and investment. For the most part, the safest way to approach the stock market is to be an investor. And yeah. And if before you ask me or Partha, like what you should do, simply buy yourself an S&P index fund, put your money in there because they're, they'll charge some fees, but they take all of the you out of it. And it's as safe as you're going to get. Or there's so, great tools like Betterment that will automatically allocate a portfolio for yep, you. There's, yep. And your goal should not be high. Your goal no. should be to get anywhere from four to 10% a year is excellent. Yep. And that's the other thing I want to talk to you about, Partha, is like society's weird understanding of money and percentages. Mm -hmm. right? I hear somebody tell me that they make 10% annually in the stock market. I'm like, damn, you're doing well. Yeah. 
But for most people, they think about that and they say, 10%, that's it. Yeah. And what do you have to say? What do you think that that's programming? Like people really have like, what are we learning in school? That people aren't fully understanding returns and what money is. Because if you make, if, if at the end of the day, lasso nets 10%, 15% gains, you're not unhappy, right? Well, I, I'll say this. At the stage of company we're at, I'm unhappy. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. you, you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, I do know what you mean, though. I think the biggest thing that's missing is the power of compounding. People don't understand the power yeah. of compound interest. And it's because you have to have either a passion for calculus or yeah. you have to have a passion for statistics to truly yeah. understand how this works. So if I put money in, the basic principle is that let's say I got 10%. If I have $100 in next year, I have 110. But yeah. then I get 10% on the 110. So yeah. I'm actually getting $11. So now I've got 121, not 120 had I got yeah. the 10% on the initial 100 and so on and so forth. That grows unbelievably fast. So there's this, yes. this uh, would you rather have a million dollars or would you have a penny day one, it doubles day two, and it doubles every day for a month? Which would you yeah. rather have? Well, the, the penny and the doubling is better because that ends up being something like $1.6 million. Yeah. Why is that? Because when you have a growth rate, it is different than consistent growth. And that's really, really, really meaningful. It is so, so critical to understand this world. That goes for every skill you can learn. That goes for everything. So, yeah. so many people say you wanted to get into trading. Say you wanted to get into, we were just talking to Zach. I think it's a great example. You want to yeah. get into travel blocking, right? So many people would post 100 articles and then stop because they yeah. didn't see the return. They'd move on to some other way that they're yeah. trying to make money. Zach posted 2,000 articles, 2,200, yeah. he said, yeah. before his TikTok started popping off. Yeah. But because he had built such a wealth of understanding, his, his learnings, his understanding of how to express that information grew so significantly into such a great depth that every single piece of content he puts out now has a much higher likelihood of being a huge piece of content with a ton of eyeballs and a ton of traffic, revenue, whatever it generates for him. Yeah, and That's the power of compound interest. But you don't get there without the years of grind. And the thing that not a lot of people understand is that you have to pick one thing, you have to commit to it, and you have to wake up every single day and you have to do it for like 10 years. Yeah. That's it. You got to do it for that long. Yeah. And the thing is, there's a process of finding it, right? You don't need to know what that is when you graduate high school, but you better have a process in place or start thinking about process of, of finding what it is that you want to do with life. You know, there's plenty of unhappy millionaires we both know. Why? Because they pursued a career based on what the financial return of that career would be. Right. Without yeah. understanding that part of this is value, you know, we know plenty of brown people who are doctors who didn't want to be doctors. Right. Yeah. Because they knew that it gave you a certain degree of freedom, and a certain degree of financial freedom. Right. But if you go into being a doctor and you don't like dealing with people, you don't like engaging with patients, you don't like you see you feel all these other aspects beyond what you thought of initially and you realize hey, I don't like some of these things. And at that point, it's too late, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're in too deep at that point. You're in too deep. <laughs> and 
and it's 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 something that I think is helpful to really think about because it also will change even in terms of money. I don't think people go through the helpful exercise of saying, what do I actually spend my money on? What do I need to make myself happy consistently, right? And a good way to look at the compounding, as you said, with investments, financial investments, is to say, what do I want to be doing when I'm 55 years old? What do I want to be doing when I'm 60 years old? What do I need money for? And I think if you don't look at this thing as, and and it's good, it's helpful to have financial goals, right? But the most important question to ask yourself is what do I need and how much is enough? Yep. If you can answer those two questions, then you've gotten ahead in life. The earlier yep. you can answer those two questions. Yep. Otherwise, you're in a rat race because these hedge fund guys, many of them are billionaires and they still feel like they're running this, they're on a hamster wheel. You know what I mean? Like, that's what money, money is, is numbers and numbers have no end, period, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's, it's just- that's. I mean, that's what it is, man. It's like that- that decision that you make in your life as to what you want to do for it. The reason why some people are successful and some people are not is because some people actually like their jobs, right? Yeah. A very, yeah. very small percent, maybe 1% yep. genuinely love their jobs. Yep. You can guess why those people are successful because they do it for so long and they put their heart into it and they're always thinking about how they could do it better and how they could improve the product or improve this service or whatever they're providing. Those people become very great. Everybody else gets so caught up in making money and FOMO and canceling people and talking about politics and everything except what they actually genuinely care about that it's no wonder you know, it's no wonder why it's not clicking for you because you haven't taken the time to look in the mirror and say, what's my passion? What do yeah. I genuinely care about? Yeah. And the truth is, and part of what we're trying to do here is we understand it's not it's not easy in our society to necessarily have the game plan in place to be successful because FOMO is ingrained in you, right? It's like, it's re, it's, it's programming does work. The more you do things, yeah the more that that becomes your your feedback loop and your mechanism by which you measure yourself. And so it's completely understandable that it's a difficult thing to unlearn and undo. But it's literally in terms of happiness, if happiness is important to you, it's literally the most important thing you have to do during your time on this earth. Because if you don't do it, no matter what you achieve, you're never going to find true happiness. And like for me at this point, like there are a ton of things that I could do and get paid a lot of money to do, but I don't do them because I'm not passionate about Same with you. Why did you drop out of college? You knew that the degree field that you are in was eventually going to lead to a high paying job that would sustain you financially for the rest of your life. But you didn't feel fulfilled. Like you're like, am I, when I'm 30 and I'm working at this job, I'm probably not going to be happy. I'm sure you asked yourself that question at some point, right? No, for sure. Well, any any job for me, I, I like this uh, job just over broke, right? Yeah. yeah, that's a great one. I like that. Yeah. But wealth comes from owning something. Yep. Income comes from working for somebody. Mm. Neither is wrong. And if you have a lot of income, you can create wealth and eventually own something. But 
the the goal should be to own something, whether it's houses and you're renting them out, whether and that's a you know a very common path to wealth these days. Yeah. There's a lot of information online, whether it's you know buying into companies, whether it's buying stocks in public companies or investing into smaller companies that you can participate in. Chris Saka, the super super well known investor now, he's on Shark yeah. Tank sometimes. He started with a 25k check that he wrote into Twitter. It was his life savings, and he showed up at the office every single day, seven days a week. And was like, what do you need me to do? And they were like, leave us alone. He was like, nope, you've got my life savings. I'm going to do something to help this thing grow. Yeah. That's <laughs> but that's, that's what it is, right? It's like you put your money where your mouth is and you have your actions back up the growth of the money. That's why I think investing in stocks is not a great path to financial freedom because you just don't have that kind of control over the wealth. Whereas if you were to invest that into a home, you can go to the house, make sure the stuff is clean, make sure you have renters coming in, work with agents, like do all of the work yourself. It's very much in your in your power to succeed regardless of your background, your upbringing, your skill level, anything because all of the information is online that you might need to do it. You know, same yeah. with Airbnb properties. People do that. There's just so many different ways that you can make money that yeah, this this whole market stuff is just it's just such a distraction, yeah. man. Yeah. And you see it. Right. We were talking about it with Zach. Right. Like part of what's liberating for him now is that he's not relying on that casting director casting him for his part. He yeah. wakes up and he decides, how am I going to move my business and my brand? And nobody is going to tell me how to do it except for myself. And we yeah. all have that power. It's just a matter of whether or not we can, A, find that, that passion. And then the second thing, unlock it. Because I truly do believe that every person in this world has a special skill. Yeah, It's just the difference is there are people who find it and work on that. And there are people who don't. Yeah, And if, if you're in the don't category... I can't say anything, but I feel badly for you and I hope that you fix it. And it's never too late to fix it. You can find your passion at 50. You can find it at 70. You yeah. know, I always go to the the J.K. Rowling story. She was like 47 when Harry Potter took off, you know, and yeah. part of that was that when it was her time, it was her time. I'm sure she had been writing her whole life. They're like, oh, it took her until 40. But she had been working. For, for 47 years to get there. Yeah. You know? And I think the other part of it too is that, you know, we take the strong stance against things like day trading because we've both been victim to this mentality of like, well, maybe this will work. And we look back and it's like all that wasted effort trying to make yeah. money fast, all that. If I had put it into something more meaningful, you know, where could I be now? Right. And it's like everyone has a friend who just kind of figured it out when they were like 15 right? Yeah. Yeah. And just only focused on one thing and became ridiculously wildly successful very yeah. young. Yeah. Everyone knows a kid like that, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we tell, we speak about this like so strongly because we just like, as two people who are now doing things we're very, very passionate about, yeah. it is a night and day difference in quality of life. It is. It is. And it's not, it, that is the most important thing. How do you live? You said it. How do you put yourself in a position to live a quality life and a, a life that's fulfilling and not, you know, there's always stress. There's stress we both feel every single day, but that stress is, is, 
it's stress that you're willing to deal with. You don't, I don't get upset at if something's going wrong because I know that I want to fix it. Right. I don't know how to, how to describe it, but it's, it's something that I, okay, putting the work into fixing because it's something that I own. And that I think is, is the master key to honestly. And, you know, we wouldn't, there's no point in where our podcast isn't met for people who, if, if you're offended by us saying this and saying some of this stuff and you're saying completely understand, you got a family to feed. Sometimes it's not just about you. Right. Yeah. Um, but before you make even those decisions, understand yourself because you're not going to be a healthy parent, a, a, a healthy husband, a healthy wife. If you haven't first figured your own shit out and, and, and built happiness within, within yourself, I fundamentally believe that. Yeah, man. I mean, I guess the follow-up question V is, you know, we talked about finding your passion. How did you identify and find yours? And do you have like a process that you went through that you recommend to people? I think it's very similar to your story and Zach's story. Like I think people find out later on that people are successful and they wonder how that happened. But if you looked at, at Zach's story, it's like he never questioned, he pursued what he liked and what he was, if he felt an energy towards something, he figured out and and dove into the process, right? If you're passionate about something, don't tell yourself that you can't, you can't do something, but you do have to know once you get into it, whether that's something for you. I've gone through so many different careers that many people would, would be happy to have. But what I've discovered through this brand is what do I want out of life? My purpose in life, I honestly believe, is to impact other people. And I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to do that with a lot of the things that I was doing. And as I went through this process of life experiences and experiencing entertainment culture, sports culture, all of these things and being really ingrained in it, I've realized, damn, these people aren't happy either. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, I'll still go back to a conversation I had with basketball player Drew Gooden when we were out one night, and he was like, "V, I really envy you." I was like, "Why do you envy me? You, you're making millions of dollars. Yeah, you're an I'm, NBA player. <laughs> you're an NBA." Yeah. Player. And he said, "Because I'm still an employee, bro." And that conversation, that conversation actually changed mm. my outlook as well because. I didn't realize what I was doing because I was looking at some of the things that I was doing, like promoting parties, doing events, having a, a day job. And everybody was like, focus on your day job, you know? But what ended up leading me to my ultimate destination was that stuff that people were like, why are you throwing parties? You know, it's such an unfulfilling thing. And I was like, it bought me free. It bought me the freedom to kind of move in the direction that I wanted to go yeah. into the fields that I wanted to be in. And I think that there's something there from a mindset standpoint of how are you going to create impact? And I'll ask you the same question. It's when you, I asked you this actually, like, dude, you're about to become, become rich selling crutches, you know, like you could have just stuck with that 
and that could have been your business model for the rest of your life. Why did you go into into this new company and this new venture? And what's your answer to that? Well, I mean, I'm I'm uniquely detached from money. I know that in society, I I don't care at all for it or about yeah. it. As a result, I've been able to make some because it's not what drives me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like money is like the echo of great actions and great purpose and great values. Money yeah. is like if it will always find you if you lead with that. Yeah. But if you chase it, it's very hard to get, very hard to find. And ultimately, you don't know who you are at the end yeah. of the journey, right? Yeah. So yeah. simple, simple kind of process for me is like, you know, thinking about my passion, it was helping people move better, right? Yeah. That's, uh, that's what I went to college for. I did biomedical engineering, you know? Yeah. So it was like, I genuinely give a shit about how people's body works bodies work and i'm very very passionate about like trying to help you or anybody on this call do it better i i love that but not in the way a trainer loves it like the way that an engineer loves it because i like to hack systems i like to find ways that are new to dramatically change how we live that's exciting to me yeah and so it's like that's a purpose that's that's a fun purpose to live because you have this entire I mean, this is whole world out here. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you could do so much. And it's like, you know, even beyond movement, it's like, what are my other passions? Like, I love doing this podcast with you. You know, I'd love to like talk and explore these concepts and also put, put ourselves out there and be vulnerable and see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it catches. It doesn't catch. We legitimately couldn't care less. Like that's the best part. Right. And it's like when you don't care about the outcome and you focus on the craft, usually you get the outcome. Look, the fact that, you know, we've shared a couple, we've had some great feedback from a few people. The fact that we're even impacting one person. That's it. uh, You know, that's the thing is there's so many people who spend a lifetime making a bunch of money for themselves and hoarding it. How many millionaires did you make? How many? And it's not just let's take out the money part. How many successful people were you an example to that looked at you and said, hey, I can be successful at what I'm doing? Once I discovered that, like, and I understood that I didn't really understand it until recently that there's a whole group of people out here who are looking at kind of what I'm doing in life, what you're doing in life and saying, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, and if we can give them a, a blueprint that says, that's honest, that doesn't just tell them like all the good stuff about what we do, but also the bad stuff, then you're, you're really living a purpose filled life, right? You yeah. know, John Calipari said it when they interviewed him, he's like, beyond the money, beyond the accolades, he's like, there's something special to me in being a part of so many different people's success on and off the basketball court. That's why I love being a coach more so than the fancy suits and the, the, the $10 million, $10 million contract and Drake coming and hanging out with you. It was that, yeah, you know, and that's why he is successful because people look at the, the measuring sticks and look at his salary and look at the recruiting and say, okay, well, you know, John Calipari is John Calipari, but that's, Behind that is a real passion for what he does. 
that has made him one of the most elite at what he does. For sure. And like you can't you can't completely ignore some of this, I would say like the stuff that appeals to the ego, right? Yeah. You can't ignore it because it's great for leverage. It's great to help you achieve your goals. Yeah. You can't be driven by it. Yeah. I think that that example is one. Urban Meyer always comes to mind for me or Ryan Day now. People who genuinely freaking love what they do are usually very good at it. And then when they also have an understanding of how the culture around them or how you know other people perceive them and they know how to play the game a little bit, then they're able to achieve really ridiculous goals just by leveraging yep. that. Yep. You know, Gordon Gecko on Wall Street, the famous line is greed is good. And I would say that that's, that's not true. Yeah. Right? yeah. If you, I disagree as well. If you, if, you, if you care about the world and you care about if you genuinely care about seeing the world be a happy place and a successful place, then you have to do your small part, not just for yourself, but for the ecosystem and the people around you that impact you. It could be as yeah. simple as, hey, I really like that guy's energy. He he helped me. You know, that's what Gary V does. You Dude, know? Gary V is so freaking dope right now because he started with this whole like, you know, work harder, work harder kind of message. Yeah. And now it's like, be happy and it's like yeah dude that's that's exactly what it is when you're happy you work hard yep and and when you work hard at something you love yeah it will make you happy eventually you know what i mean like that's also you know neither one of us are um are 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 full-time parents per se but it's also a helpful way i think to look at the people you bring into this world right it's what do they want out of life? Instead of putting your insecurities or your goals on them, this is a big problem in our culture, right? It's like every kid, you've got to be a doctor or engineer. And the question's never, ever asked, well, what is it that you actually want to do? Yeah. And what is, and creating a process, I think, for that person to find what it is that they want to do. Like, that's what I love about what Zach's parents did for him. It's like, okay. We're going to put you and encourage you. We're not going to force you to say you got to be great at everything that you try, but we're going to put you in a position where you're going to discover what it is you like and what you don't like. Yeah. And by the way, that goes for, you know, being a good friend too. Yeah. You have a friend or significant other that's going on a journey that you might not understand. You know, it's your responsibility to encourage that, to be supportive. Like, don't, don't worry. Like if one of your friends made a hundred K on GameStop last week, right? Like be excited for them, right? Don't try to get in the mix. Don't try to also make the money. Like keep stay in your lane, keep doing what you're doing, you know? Yeah. That's something that's, that's one thing that you got me going back to last week, asking that question. Why is that? Right? Like I genuinely, if I hear someone made a bunch of money on GameStop, it doesn't make me feel bad. No. <laughs> why? Why does I don't I don't get it? But it's more people than not. That's what it. What happens? Is that yeah. part of the whole FOMO? Part of the side effects of FOMO, or is there something deeper here in terms of how we are, how we've been genetically driven as human beings in society for so long? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of layers. One of the perspectives I've been leaning on recently is like this concept of identities. And when you know somebody closely, they have a more firm identity to you. So if they start to break some of the, you know, constraints of that identity that you have on them, it can make you really uncomfortable because it can feel like your world is very much in flux, like things you counted on or things that were stable in your life, in your perception 
might feel unstable when people's circumstances change. And it's really, really important to remember that that's actually not happening at all, but that everybody around you is fluid at all times. So even when you have a sense of identity for someone like, oh, yeah, that's my friend, they do this job, you've immediately limited them in your head, Yeah. right? But the identity should be like, that's my friend. They're very friendly. They're funny. They like to play sports. Like, think about the person, almost back to some grade school stuff. Like, don't define them by the job because this person can do a million things in this world. They can create tremendous amounts of value, but they're always going to be, you know, the friend that you go on hikes with. Yep. I told you this about a friend that I have who within the first couple minutes of a conversation, if somebody asks him what he does, he's already he's already made his conclusion that this isn't a, this isn't a situation or a relationship he wants to engage in in any real way. And he'll walk away from some of these conversations. And that's he's like a lot of people. It rubs a lot of people the wrong way. It doesn't bother me. Maybe it's because he doesn't treat me that way. But, <laughs> but he's like, at the end of the day, you have to know what energy or what what you want in your life versus what you don't want in your life. And if it bothers somebody else that I'm that way, then that's their problem, not my problem. But I've calculated and I've figured out that there's certain conversations that trigger me into telling me how someone thinks or how their mind works immediately make me say, like you said, they're going like that mindset that you were just talking about in terms of how they're going to view me is going to be in relation to all of these things that don't matter what it is I do, where my degree is from, you know, am I married? Am I single? You know, all of those things are social hierarchy measuring sticks that he's like, quite frankly, I don't have the time to give a shit about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. You know, it's interesting The the social hierarchy stuff is like you see a lot of mixed opinions on it. But in general, it seems to be the bane of our existence is it that does. it always corrupts our our desires or passions. Yeah, it's always there's always something at any point in your life that you have to battle against. This is what everybody else says you're supposed to do. But this is who you are. Right. And. I challenge people when they're faced with that because it was a process for me and I still am going through it in some ways is to separate to separate them versus you because at the end of the day how do you it's when you're looking at yourself in the mirror you're not looking at them in the mirror there's not a hundred other people beside you when you go to go home and get in bed or you go home and you look in the mirror, it's just you in that mirror, right? right? So if you remind yourself of that consistently, then over time, you'll start caring less and less and less about what those hundred people are telling you that yeah. you're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah. And that's, that's just an easy way to do it over time, right? Yeah. And Man. We gonna talk some Super Bowl before we before sounds, we leave. Yeah, sounds like we burned the burned the oil down on the uh, on the money side. Let's yeah, let's button Don't worry, that. Be happy. Be yourself. Yep. You as fly, right? Yep. Be you. You as fly, man, and make enough money to to live the life that you want to live, but don't don't become a slave to it. Is kind of I think the final takeaway. Yeah, uh, for us there, but.
Let's talk about someone who has been themselves. Two quarterbacks that have been themselves since they got in the league. Very different play styles and identities. Yes. Bro, I could not be more stoked about this game. Oh, I'm excited. This I'm is excited. probably the most hyped I've been for a Super Bowl in my life. Yeah. 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 You know, and I think you're you're dealing it's there's just so many dynamics that you care about, right? Like the old vet versus the young bull. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes is coming for for Tom Brady's throne and Tom Brady. Concussion like, plays into the narrative. Yeah. And then and, and Tom Brady's like, I'm not ready to give this up yet. Yeah. You know, and you I got think, the fourth quarter closer in Brady too. Yep. Yeah. And you know, last week we were talking about how do you sustain greatness as an athlete? Patrick Mahomes is is the exact we'll talk about why he's able to do it. But let's talk about Brady first. And there's something remarkable. We talked about Aaron Rodgers last week and it being taken out of his hands at a time where it should have been put into his hands. Right. And your decisions you make in critical moments, whether it's a me decision or a team decision. I posted a meme on our, our social media about six years ago. The Seattle Seahawks um, should have run the ball. Right. Yeah. And that was an ego-based decision by Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Ninety, if if you have Marshawn Lynch first and goal at the one yard line, a hundred out of a hundred times you hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. <laughs> yeah, especially at that point in his career. Yep. Yeah. And if you look at Tom Brady's success in the Bill Belichick and Patriot way, the reason he's been successful is he's that guy who's willing to hand the ball off when he needs to hand the ball off to win. He's willing to make the throw when he needs to make the throw. You know, that is a mental mastery that I think we really need to appreciate where they're like, who does Tom Brady think he is? The reason he's so successful is not because of his ego. It's because of the fact that he really understands that football is a team sport, how every player plays a role, how every element of that machine needs to be working the right way to be successful. And if you look at his stat line, there are stat lines in Super Bowls where he's barely throwing for, he's had a horrible game, but the Patriots came out with the win. Yeah. And just like, I mean, just like last week, dude, he threw three interceptions. Yep. Yep. Still, you know, pulled that thing out. I still can't wrap my head around the math of of the ego of this coach. I honestly (laughs) think he should be fired for what he did. Not only did you take the ball, Aaron Rodgers needed to make two plays to tie the game. Yeah. And for you to win, even if you take the Tom Brady part out of it versus you having to kick a field goal and then, Aaron Rodgers having to make 10 to 15 plays. The field goal made no no real difference. I no mean, difference. it was an eight-point game. And then you give the ball to Tom Brady to get one first down. That is your ego. And the, the opposite, you know, yeah. your ego. And also objectively one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. That and the Marshawn Lynch are the two worst decisions I've ever seen happen. It cost the Seahawks a, a Super Bowl, and it cost the Packers a chance yeah. to get a Super Bowl, right? And that is the contrast between Brady and him. And it's the same way. If you look at Mahomes, everybody gives attention to his fancy plays, all the stuff that he does. But at the end of the day, 
Mahomes is great because he plays within Andy Reid's system. He trusts Andy Reid's system. He trusts yeah. the play calling. He trusts the whole team around him. And that's why they are so great is because yep. all the parts are working together. And when football works, it's as simple as that. I just, I also want to toss out, I think the Chiefs are the better team because oh. talent, obviously. Um, but Chemistry the Tyreek Hill Mahomes combo, it reminds me of watching football like in high school or even at, at the college level sometimes when you have a quarterback and a receiver that are so much better than everybody else they play against that yeah. they can just go to that whenever they need to. Yeah, and you have to add Travis Kelsey into that mix yeah, too. Yeah, for sure, right? for sure. Um, but it's also just the way they've built this offense is so phenomenal, right? Yeah. It's like we have Patrick Mahomes. Let's put all the players he, we've got. We've got a, a F F one McLaren behind the pocket. Let's not. Let's just give him the weapons that he needs, and that's what I love about Andy Reid is he approaches the game, even though he's clearly one of the best coaches. It's egoless. He's looking yeah. at what does he need to make his team great. What do you need? We're gonna get. We're not. We're gonna sacrifice our defense because we know we want Nicole Hardiman, Sammy Watkins, yeah, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Le'Veon Bell. They're gonna keep doing. And that's what the Buc the Bucks are doing as well now. Is it's like when you identify a competitive advantage, exploit the shit out of it. Yeah, you know. And so long as our defense is good enough, we're going to win more games than we're going to lose. Yeah. And it seems to be working so far. Seems to be working. Seems to be <laughs> working quite well. And I'm gonna, it's going to be interesting to see. You want to take a stab at a score prediction? Man, I've got the Chiefs winning this game. Um by 10 points. I've got the Chiefs 31-28. Yeah. I, but, you know, I don't feel... I would never put any money on this bet because you don't bet on Tom Brady against Tom Brady. No. And the storybook ending here is Tom Brady getting this, this championship and for the rest of his life, Patrick Mahomes wondering how do I get to 10 Super Bowls and six rings? <laughs> yeah, seriously. But I will say, if Mahomes gets it, I would consider this a passing of the torch game. So, you know, either way it works out. We either see somebody become the greatest quarterback ever definitively, right? Because the only argument would have been Montana. But yeah, this, this establishes a level of greatness we've never seen. Yes. yes, but one thing I will say, and this is hard for me to say because he is a Michigan guy, you know. Yeah, um, yeah we, we don't, need to, we don't yeah. need to talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that part of it yeah. out. It has nothing to do with why he's... No, that's cool. despite going to Michigan. Despite, you know? yeah. despite going there is Tom Brady wasn't born with the natural gifts that Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is just... He's a video game and he has the Tom Brady mentality, which is why see, wondering where he's eventually going to go is, is a fun exercise, right? Yeah. But to really understand Tom Brady and to how he's developed himself from an average Tom into this product that we see really is an example, a shining example of what you can do when you really, really care about something unequivocally and dedicate 
your life to it in every aspect of it, his diet, his exercise, his study. Like he said it in the Tom Brady things. He's like, I haven't been, you know, I probably haven't been the best dad because he has a laser-like focus on on improving. And he's improved to this point that it's like, if you're average, you can become great. Look at Tom Brady. It's not if you're great, like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Le- I mean, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, you're like, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Tom Brady is an example for us of like, what you can achieve just through sheer will and yeah and and wanting it but he's had a spotless record off the field too yeah he has it's impressive it's impressive to see somebody so put together yeah it is it is and still be humble yeah right and i think that that's that's what everybody wants him to be like wants to present him as this arrogant dick and anybody that i know that's played with him anybody that's interacted with him you know has the opposite to say he's just another yeah. guy in the locker room. You yeah. Know? So that's, that's, that's a special type of mental, mental freedom that he has that I, I, I definitely want to tap into more and hope I get one of these two hour conversations with him one of these days. Well, I'll tell you, Tom Brady definitely wasn't in on the game stop. Oh, he didn't. <laughs> yeah. He definitely didn't <laughs> to be worrying about game stop. So he might have been involved in the hedge fund that got crushed, but <laughs> yeah, they are in the Northeast. He might have been. Yes, but yeah. uh, he definitely wasn't sitting there spending a lot of brain power on how does he get in on the game step, the game step uh, phenomenon. Well, so I guess man, on that note, it's been a this has been a really fun episode. I really enjoyed talking to Zach, catching up with him, and then. Leading into this conversation, I think they tied together pretty well um, in terms of what we learned from Zach about success versus what we learned about game about game stuff. You know, yeah. and now we got a Super Bowl to watch this Sunday, man. Let's uh, let's get to it. Hopefully, we see a couple guys wearing some uh, some lasso socks out there on the field pregame. Yeah, yeah hopefully. I mean, the NFL kind of started cracking down on the logo showing. Yeah. So uh, we we don't get away with it as much as we used to. Hey, man, hopefully someone decides that they need to protect their ankles really well. And I know, right? <laughs> we have we have a couple. I'm not going to say any names. We have a couple guys that um, I think probably will. Yeah, that's yeah. good. So long as they're not showing like, hey, look at my socks. I know, right? It's that's That's the beauty of your product is it's got a functional reason for being used, not just a branding and marketing reason. The good old. You don't have to pay me for that one either, bro. Yeah, I know. The good old plug. (laughs) All right. On that note, it's been fun. It's been real. Always remember to be you. You is fly. Stay moving. Stay active in the pursuit of your dreams. That's why we do this. And hopefully that's what your takeaway is from this show. Pilot Boys out. Once we get on up.